You excited in the Lord? You glad to be here? Last week we uh, we talked about uh, prayer a little bit, and uh, we're on this theme destined for the throne, uh, which would be kind of the um, maybe the ultimate expression, right? Uh, but what we've been alluding to more maybe practically uh, every Sunday is that you are at the throne now. Uh, so there is there's certainly a greater fulfillment uh, coming. Uh, and that's, you know, the way we're going to spend eternity is hanging out with Jesus. That's kind of cool, right? How many of you excited about that? I think that's pretty cool. So, you know, that's... That's a bit of what eternity looks like, but right now also, you know, just as we're, as we're enjoying today's worship, you know, this theme of living out of heaven is already something that we want to be posturing our mind, our heart, our imagination, uh, because, and, and last week I said, you know, even with prayer, it's, it's kind of, there's kind of a shift that takes place uh, that, that we could embrace or should embrace, and that is instead of praying to heaven, praying from heaven. Uh, but the crazy thing, too, is that, that a lot of times, and I understand kind of the, the mindset of looking toward heaven in prayer, but, the, you know, there's kind of a crazy thing, too, that I think is going to continue to emerge and grow, and that is, is that heaven is invading earth. So as the two become one, does that mess up your theology of negativism and hopelessness? I'm sorry. Uh, but as the, as the two become one, as the two merge into one, uh, then I think it will get less hard. Is that that's bad grammar, but it'll get less complicated um, to pray out of heaven, to pray in an atmosphere of heaven. Uh, have you felt the Holy Spirit just kind of invade your world a few times, right? And uh, for me, sometimes I get those, uh, I, you know, Holy Spirit goosebumps, I really do. And it's like the Holy Spirit just kind of signifying that maybe I'm on to something, whatever happened to you. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about prayer again in the few minutes that I've got this morning, and uh, you know we're we're a uh, we're a bundle of uh, we're a bundle of tension uh, because we want to have services that don't kill you, but we want to have worship that is full of glory. We want everybody healed, and we want every problem solved. We want the full gospel preached, and we want to get to know one another. That's a bundle of tension right there uh, because you just can't get it all done in an hour and a half. Uh, so guess what? We get to come back. So, but I want to talk to you a little bit about prayer again, and I want to allude to some thoughts out of that theme and uh, encourage you. Some of this is things you've heard me talk about because it is a Dwayne Wolf theme. Uh, and so, uh, as you can expect, that Larry Lee always talked about prayer. There's certain things that Pastor Dwayne always talks about. 
so to throw this out at you, that we think of different avenues or aspects of prayer somewhat like tools uh, out of the tool shed. Uh, because there are actually different expressions of prayer, and they don't all look exactly alike. So, and what we find is that certain tools are best to use for certain needs. Is that right? So, for instance, uh, and uh, most of you know that I've done a lot with these tools. fact is, this particular six-and-a-half-inch worm drive saw I bought when I was 19 years old. I've never changed the brushes in this saw. It was not made in China. Uh, and uh, it still runs well after all these years. That's 40 years. Pardon me? Yeah, it helped. Yeah, you know. It was a part of building the church and all of our homes and all of that. So that's kind of fun. So, but what we know, for instance, if you were to cut a piece of plywood in half, you had this objective to cut a piece of plywood in half, of which uh, we got to do some of that in the last few days with Solomon building his new trailer. Uh, you probably wouldn't use a drill. You know, you could take the T-square, as we did yesterday, and run a line across the plywood, and then you could get a big drill bit, and you could go across that line, and you could attempt to get those holes as close as possible so that you could cut that plywood, and then after having cut it, of course, you wouldn't fully cut it, but you could get it perforated to the point where you could potentially break it. Is that right? So you would... And you would just be wearing yourself out. And the problem really is not the tool, it's the user. Because this tool is much better for drilling holes where a hole needs to be drilled rather than slicing through wood where you're trying to cut. And so you would break it through that the perforation, and you'd still have trouble. You would have to then get a belt sander. So then you would need two tools, and you would sand and sand and sand, and, and eventually you may have something that resembles a cut. But most of you uh, know, if you've viewed a belt sander, that uh, you might not do all that well with that. Uh, and so then your cut might not be even, right? And so it's just an illustration of different kinds of tools. You grab the skill saw. You know, if you use the wrong tool for a particular thing, you can work all day and actually maybe not get it done. Or you can actually look really dumb as you do it. Or the tool can look extremely dumb, right? If we didn't know that skill saws existed for cutting plywood, and all of us were drilling, then, um, then that tool would look really, really, it'd be like, and so what happens is when we use the wrong tool, then it does not exactly um, encourage or promote trust in that tool. So if you were cutting plywood in half, four by eight sheets, you're trying to cut across the middle of that plywood, with a drill, I don't think that everybody watching you would want to run out and get one of those. And you could make a TV commercial, even, and you could, you know, you could call it Drill to Cut, you know, whatever. You could come up with a really fancy name, but probably not too many. And you could even say, call now, twenty nine ninety five, and we'll send you two of them. And probably you wouldn't get too many phone calls because the tool is really not all that impressive for cutting. And this is, this is where I want to talk to you a little bit about prayer and give you this context. Last week, we, we were talking about this particular kind of prayer, like a commanding prayer. And I told you that out of John 15, 7, 
that actually the word ask that Jesus uses in John 15, 7 says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. For by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Now, a lot of our prayers don't bear much fruit, and this is why a lot of folks are not too excited about prayer. Because many times we're using the wrong tool, so it's like using a drill to cut plywood. And so we're, and we're actually making a big storm of it. We're actually making a lot of dust, and we've got a lot of motion going on, but the ply, you know, the, it's actually not getting done. And so then we build a zillion excuses, a framework of theological excuses why it didn't get done. So, well, God's not in the mood. Well, I'm not sure. Well, there could be sin in your life. Well, the devil's been really a big, bad devil. Uh, uh, you know, well, this is not the time for those kinds of answers. You know, after we pass on to glory, we'll get those kinds of answers. And, and, and so we've got this framework of, of why it didn't work. But the real problem, I personally think, is that we're using wrong prayer tools. Is that all right? So some prayer tools. We have prayers of confession. Confession is a useful tool when we've sinned, disobeyed, or disappointed the Holy Spirit. Prayers of pardon. Pardon is a useful tool when we need forgiveness. It comes through the applied blood of Jesus Christ. Prayers of repentance. Praise and thanksgiving. These are useful tools when we approach God, commune with God, honor God, draw near to God, reflect upon his goodness. Or we have prayed and we believe that God has heard us and an answer is forthcoming. Petition and supplication. I've lumped some of these together. There's a lot of tools in the prayer shed. But, and I could just go on and on infiditum with scriptures and preach happy on each one of these, but we don't have time for that. So, but praise uh, and thanksgiving, then petition and supplication, very similar. Useful tools when we don't know God's will. Or when we have a request of him that only he can fulfill. Supplication, when we have a burden to lay at his feet, and then we bring that to him. Paul talks about these prayer tools, petition and supplication in Philippians chapter 4. Protection. Protection. Uh, there's protection prayers. This is a useful tool when we call upon God to remember the covenant and act upon it by keeping us safe from harm. Psalm 91 is a great example of a prayer of protection. Intercession. Abraham interceded for Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember that? Intercession is throughout the Bible. Ezekiel 22, I look for a man who would stand in the gap. Intercession is a useful tool when we pray for God to touch others. And, uh, and like I say, there's lots that could be talked about with each one of those. But I just want you to see that each one of these prayer tools has a specific purpose. Now, there's a prayer tool that the Bible talks about. We talked about it last week. You hear me talk about it a lot because I think it is the prayer tool that's lacking the most in the body of Christ, and that is where we speak on God's behalf. Where we speak on God's behalf. Now, oftentimes when we see prophets or those in the New Testament speaking on behalf of God, speaking on God's behalf, or now speaking on behalf of the Lord, when we see that, then the Bible still calls that prayer. And so then we can get kind of confused because uh, he still calls that prayer, and our translators have still called that ask. Now, I offered to you last week that 
that the word ask, there were four choices, maybe five choices. When the translators translated the word ask, which I gave you the Strong's concordance transliteration of that Greek word last week, when the translators translated that word ask in John 15, 7, they could have chosen call for. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall call for what you will and it shall be done for you. They could have used the word desire. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can desire what you will and it shall be done for you. It could have been translated require. Oh, now we're getting into that bossing God around stuff. No, 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 no. If you abide in him and his word abides in you, if his word abides in you, if his word abides in you. Now, if his word doesn't abide in you, then we get back into petition and supplication. Where I don't know the will of God, then I seek the will of God. Where I know the will of God, right? Then if his word abides in me, then I shall require what I will, and it shall be done for me. This is, a, this is a total realm of prayer, this realm of declaration, this realm of requiring, this realm of, of prophetically speaking on behalf of the Lord. And by the way, you are his delegates. You are his mouth. He doesn't have a mouth right now except for your mouth. And by the way, he's trying to show you stuff all of the time that you will then desire, require, call forth, command, declare, and decree. Those are the meanings of that, and the Lord is trying to show you those things all of the time. Amos 3, 7 says, God does nothing unless he first shows his prophets. Well, I'm not a prophet. Oh, you aren't? Hmm. Well, maybe not in an Old Testament sense, but Joel prophesied in Joel chapter 2, verses 28, in the last days, God will pour out his spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Then in Acts chapter 2, we go over to Acts chapter 2. We have some of these scriptures, and our rapid speed computer man will go to some of these. Acts chapter 2, verse 15. This is where Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost. We see Peter standing up, and... Uh, what has happened is 120 believers with fire on their heads and none of them getting bold. Miracle right there. Fire on their heads, 120 believers spill out of a prayer room into the streets and they're all prophesying and speaking in languages. Now, the languages, we, we get fixated on the tongues many times. But the tongues were only necessary because this was, this was a Jewish festival season, and, and Jewish people from all over the globe had come to Jerusalem for Passover, and they hadn't left town yet. And this is like 10 days later, and they're all staying with all their relatives. And this is the day that God chose to pour out the Spirit on all flesh. And so they had to speak in tongues. Hello, somebody. They had to speak in tongues. Believe me, I'm not against tongues. 1 Corinthians 14, 39 says, never deny or denounce tongues. Covet. 
those kinds of things, the gifts of the Spirit, yes? You still here? Okay. So they spill out of the street, but they had to speak in tongues because there were people there from every nation under the globe, and they, and, but the emphasis, was, the emphasis was on prophecy. It wasn't on tongues. The emphasis was on prophecy. They actually spilled into the streets prophesying about God, his goodness, his future, his Christ, his Messiah, his salvation. They're prophesying all this stuff, and they're saying it in languages they've never learned before, but, but as, they're, as they're standing there, like people come from all over the streets to hear the commotion, and they come and stand by somebody who's speaking in their language, and they've come from Macedonia, they've come from Crete, they've come from these places all over the globe, and, and they're standing by somebody, and, and they're like awestruck at the prophetic revelation that's coming out of their mouth by the Holy Spirit, and then they say to them, have you, how'd you know that? And where'd you get that? And they're like, I don't know. Well, well do you know my language? No, I've never learned your language. I don't even know what I'm saying. I just, tongues of fire, right? I mean, you'd want to, if 120 people poured into the center of a community, as it was in that day, with tongues of fire on their head, that would be, that would draw your attention right there, wouldn't it? Yes? And then they're all declaring the awesome works of God beyond their knowledge, maybe your comprehension, in languages they'd never learned. That'd be kind of a cool thing, yes? But the emphasis, again, the emphasis is on prophecy. Uh, let's go forward from this verse 15. These are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. Can we go forward? We can't go forward. You only had that one? What happened? Be healed in Jesus' name. Um, it's only 9 o'clock. Let's see if I have it. These preachers, Lord have mercy. Verse 16, but this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel, and it shall be in the last days, God says, I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Well, do you prophesy? Do you prophesy? How often should you prophesy? Should you wait for the goosebump, or should the goosebump come while you're prophesying? When should you prophesy? And the weird, the crazy, the strange thing is that to speak on behalf of God or to speak on behalf of Christ, to speak on behalf of Jesus as an ambassador of heaven, a delegate from above, is actually called prayer. So then we get it confused. This is the word. This is the, the, the word the translators have chosen. And so we see that as prayer, and when we think of prayer, immediately our mind zooms in. Instead of seeing various and many tools in the prayer shed, our mind zooms in to one interaction, and that is where we're requesting of God something. And so we're coming to God, approaching Him, asking for something, when actually this prophetic tool that God has given us where we actually declare on his behalf is considered prayer and spoken of as prayer throughout Scripture. Can I give you an example? I thought you'd ask. That'd be wonderful. Okay, so, and I really think that this is such a key uh, to our theme today, by the way. You know, even as we're singing it, heaven come. Were you singing that? 
Shame on you. You want heaven to come? I'm messing with you. Yes, we want heaven to come. Amen? Uh, let's go to an example of this. Um, not that we have time for one, but we will, just for fun. Go to James 5.16. James 5.16, hopefully we can go there. Uh, oh, hey, he found Acts 2, 17. That's cool. Let's go to James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effectual prayer, the effective prayer, the effectual prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. What did it just call that? A prayer. The effectual prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Righteous women, too. Elijah, and then he goes on to tell us about an example where this happened. Okay? So now he's going to, he tells us that the effectual fervent, now the King James says fervent. I like that. It's actually a part of the Greek text. It wasn't brought into some of the others. But the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. Fervent means boiling hot, intense, with zeal, with, with, with conviction. Okay? The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. Again, we have the word prayed. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured forth rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Now, again, what the enemy wants us to think in this whole prayer context, that the only way that we, the, 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 the only tool that we use in the prayer context is, again, praying to heaven with petition, petition and supplication. So we read that. We read prayer. The effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much. In other words, gets a lot done. And then he tells us about Elijah. Elijah prayed a bunch, okay? So then in our, in our religious prayer posture, we see that as this fervent, <laughs> Lord, Lord, oh, oh. shut the skies, Lord, shut the skies, Lord. Okay. And so, and it says he had to do that a lot. So we're like, oh boy. All right, so we have to do that much. <laughs> okay, so whatever petition or intercession or supplication looks like to you, you got to do that a bunch. But if we go to 1 Kings 17 and 1 Kings 18, who are we talking about here? We're talking about Elijah the prophet. Everybody say prophet. Oh, that's the same anointing you've received. That's interesting. So when we see these prophets in the Old Testament, they had an up-on anointing that came upon their lives. And they became foreshadows of who we are. They foreshadowed that they walked in some stuff we get to walk in every single day. So we go to 1 Kings 17, and it says, Now Elijah the Tishbite, who was one of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these three years except by my word. Pardon me? What in the world? So God had appeared to Elijah. God had visited Elijah. Elijah had a revelation. It starts with God. Everybody say it starts with God. This is not bossing God around. This is you listening well, finding out what in the world God's up to. This is why it starts in Matthew 6, 9 through 11. And it says, pray this way. And it's also recorded in Luke as well. 
Pray this way. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. Everybody say on earth. As it is in heaven. As it is in heaven. Just as it is in heaven. Pray that way. Then he goes on to say, pray also, give us this day our daily bread. Why? Because we don't even know how to, we don't even know how to cooperate with heaven if we don't receive daily bread. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Bread in that Lord's prayer that we're all familiar with, bread in the context of Scripture is the word of God. It's the word of God. It's manna from heaven. It is sustenance. It's, it's the deposits of revelation. The deposits of revelation, when God gives you revelation, and just like Elijah, then you have the ability, you have the grace, you have the power, you have the faith, you have the quickening to then begin to cooperate with the Holy Spirit to bring forth that which he desires. For a good season, we've been trying to remove all the prophetic emphasis, the wacko prophets, whatever. You, know, you ever met a wacko prophet? Oh, yeah. Me too. Okay, so for a good season, we've been trying to get them out of our church, excommunicate them out of our churches. Okay? Maybe rather than pastoring their hearts... We've been trying to... Now, I'm talking about especially those who would walk in an office of prophet. Now, what happens is the more, we, the more we push out, the more we excommunicate, the more we silence the prophetic, then subconsciously we're actually silencing the prophetic ministry that's alive within all of us that are spirit-filled believers as well. Subconsciously we're saying we don't need that. We don't need that expression. Well, if we don't need that expression, I mean, we're missing out on maybe the best skill saw in the tool shed. I mean, we're, or maybe it's a jackhammer. I mean, we're missing out on one of the most powerful tools that you possibly have in your, in your prayer shed. And subconsciously and consciously, this has been happening for the last 100 or 50 or a long period of time in our churches because because uh, 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 somebody was weird or somebody was strange or somebody, somebody didn't work out or somebody was off the wall or somebody just, you know. And so we, we associate the prophetic with the weird prophet. So then subconsciously we're not, we're not embracing this, this aspect that the Holy Spirit has actually he, need, he needs desires and wants all of us to be interacting with him in this way for heaven to come. Heaven can't come. He's not doing stuff without us. He's doing stuff with us. He's not doing stuff on his own. He's doing stuff with us. That's a lot of shouting right there. First um, Kings 18 how did the rain come back after three years? So he declares, so he shut the skies. He shut the skies with his word. He shut the skies. In other words, when he proclaimed what God showed him to proclaim, 
then God honored what he proclaimed and brought forth the result. Yes? How did the skies open back up? 1 Kings 18, now it happened after many days, that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. The what? The word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show yourself to Ahab, the king, and I will send rain upon the face of the earth. So he shows himself to Ahab. When he shows himself, verse 41, Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat, and drink, for there's the sound of the roar of a heavy shower. What? Nothing's even happened yet. It hasn't even happened yet. There's not even one cloud. There's not even a drop. And he is decreeing. He is, he is releasing the word. I hear already the sound of abundant rain. Why? Because I heard from God. When you hear from God, it should shift something within you, and you should begin to say what God has said, not continue to say what you've been saying or what the enemy's saying or what your history's said or what failure has said or what your sin has said or what accusation has said or continue to use the wrong tool to approach God when you've already heard from him about what it is that he desires to do. If you don't partner, if we don't partner with God with prophetic speech, then his hands are tied, the clouds will stop, they won't even show up, the rain won't come, and we just continue to petition God with the wrong tool, and now prayer looks really stupid. And you're telling all your friends, I'm praying about this, and they're like, ah, that's like using a drill to cut plywood, please get away from me. Well, don't you want me to pray with you? Please, no. Have you had one answered lately? Uh, well, no, but, I mean, God's working this out. I mean, we've got to trust him. I mean, sometimes we're just going through a lot of stuff because he's trying to teach us stuff. Yeah, I've heard that one a thousand times, all right? Still not right. Ezekiel's an example, and we talk about Ezekiel all the time. Ezekiel 37. Let's go there real quick. Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. He calls me to pass among them round about. He's having a vision is what he's having. Behold, there were many on the surface of the valley, and lo, they were very dry. In other words, they had been there a long time. They were dry. There was no meat on them, no blood Son of man, can these bones live, the Lord said. And I answered, I said, O Lord, O God, you only know. And again, he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you that you may come to life. I will put sinews on you, make flesh grow back on you, cover you with skin, and put breath in you that you may come alive, and you will know that I am the Lord. Now, did these bones even deserve that? I mean, did these, what is the deal with these bones? These bones, these were bad bones. These were bad bones. They, these bones did not, you know, whether, whether these bones deserve to come back to life I'm going to show you who the bones were in a minute. But a lot of times we're like, oh, I don't want to prophesy over that. I don't want to say that. I don't want to declare that. I don't want to, I don't want to command that. Really? You're smarter than God, aren't you? 
See, the, some of the things God wants you to speak to don't qualify in righteousness. God just wants to show them mercy. God just wants to bring a shift. God wants to take over. God wants to bring heaven. This is what he said. If we think about the ultimate, where, where is God going with all of this? Well, he's taking me to heaven. Really? That's the end of it all? How about heaven coming to earth? Where does it all end? In 1 Thessalonians 4, a lot of us have 1 Thessalonians 4 nearly memorized, right? Where does it all end in Revelation 19? It ends with Christ coming back with all of the believers and the new Jerusalem being joined to the earth. Heaven fully being consummated as a joining to the earth. Heaven and earth. That's where it all ends. That's where, that's where he's going with us. Amen? So the, I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone, and I looked, and behold. You know, sometimes I think even, you know, God doesn't even care that your prophesying is perfect. How does breath come into bones? Maybe the word breath there meant spirit. Spirit is pneuma. Spirit is breath. Maybe think of that. Maybe he was meaning. Yeah, I don't know that you have to get super like intricate, like you know, and just like lay things out and just like God just wants you to believe what He's said. Just begin to say what He's said. Begin to say what His Word has said. Begin to say what He's shown you. Quit with all the sad sack Christianity. Lay aside all the hopelessness and despair. Just begin to agree that heaven is invading your life. Yeah, but I don't know how. I, I, I don't know how. You don't have to know how. Just begin to agree that it's happening. I mean, he's so good. I mean, you talk about grace. See, when most people define grace, they mean do what you want to and it'll work out. Just be sloppy, sloppy, agape. Just do what you want to and it'll work out. Most people define that grace that way, right? That's not grace means the power to bring forth God's will. When, when I think of grace, I'm thinking that if I just start partnering with him and cooperating, he'll work it out. But I'm going to show forth the effort to agree at least with what he's shown me. I'm going to not agree with, with another voice, with another thing, I'm going to agree with what he's shown me. I'm running out of time. Got to call the band up any moment, but we'll wait a second. Verse 10, I prophesied as he commanded me. Breath came into him. They came to life. They stood on their feet, an exceeding great army. And by the way, he says, this is the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up. They say, they say our bones are dried up. They say our hope has perished. They say we're completely cut off. Therefore, prophesy to them. What in the world is that all about? Well, I think we can, we can grab that and pull it out of that context, and we can see this is God's way. God actually wants to use us to reach to people who are saying our hope has perished, we're cut off, I got nothing going on. I'm separated from the promises. I'm worthless. I'm nothing. God can use us. God, try that on yourself even when you're feeling really hopeless. 
really cut off. Like, why does it work out for everybody but me? Right? Okay, so last, uh, last thought. Ben, please come. Save us from the preacher. I think many of our personal failures can be attributed to getting out of agreement with the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven has started. Heaven's invading the earth. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 28, Mark 9, 11, many of you standing here will not perish before you see the kingdom of heaven coming with power. We're living in kingdom days. Well, what are you saying? Are we in the millennium? If you could even spell that word, you need help. I'm not saying we're in the millennium. I'm saying that the kingdom has come and is progressively growing every single day as we agree with him, as we agree with his goodness, as we agree with his mercy, as we agree with his promises, as we agree with what he's showing us in the word, as we agree with the bread of heaven, that which he shows us, that which we're understanding about his nature, so many of our personal failures, I think, can be attributed to getting out of agreement. What would happen if we became intentional? What would happen if we didn't wait for a goosebump to prophesy? What would happen if we just started speaking the word and speaking the realities and the goodness of heaven and the promises of God all of our life? What over our lives? What would happen if we started instead of petitioning God for His promises, we started prophesying His promises? What would happen? What kind of a crazy shift could happen in our lives, right? Let's stand with Christ. I got this whole picture out of Mark eleven twenty two, where Jesus said that... Uh, Mark eleven twenty two through 24, he says that, that when we have faith in what God shows us, that we can move mountains with that. I got this whole thought that, that if we don't speak to mountains, they won't move. How many mountains are actually waiting on us to move them? Remember when Israel came out, uh, when they came out of Egypt? Remember that? They came out of Egypt. and It says that dread fell on all of the seven inhabitants living in the promised land. Seven, dread fell on them. But then when they sent in the spies, ten of the spies said, we aren't able. Remember that? Only two of the spies had a faith-filled report or agreement with God. That was Caleb and Joshua. So finally, 40 years later, when they show up, do you remember what Rahab said? Rahab said, where have you been? 40 years ago, our hearts trembled. 40 years ago, Jericho was ready to fall. 40 years ago, we knew we were dead. 40 years ago, we knew that we'd be wiped out. 40 years ago, what happened? Where, where have you been? What happened? And I can imagine those guys having dinner with Rahab and sharing with her, well, 
Wow, that's really cool to hear. That's a, that's a cool testimony. Uh, well, what happened is uh, a bunch of the leaders of the tribes, they were like, they were prophetic voices, and they were like leaders and everything like that. But, you know, they saw all the giants over here across the Jordan, and they were like, wow, we can't do that. And so we've been wandering around this mountain out there for 40 years, and we finally made it. How many mountains are waiting for you to speak to them? How many mountains want to be moved, actually want to be moved? I mean, money that wants to move into your account, but you won't, you won't let it. Healings that want to move into your body, but you won't let it. Relationships that want to be mended. Communities that want to be fixed. Spheres of society that actually want to be changed, but, and they're waiting. Let's be the generation that delivers. Let's be the generation that delivers. Let's be the generation that uses the right tools. Let's be the generation that brings the kingdom of heaven in such a great, in such a vast, in such a powerful way. Put your hands up today. We'll close in worship, but I just want you to say yes to Father. Lord, we thank you. We say yes to the delegation of authority. We say yes to the ministry of Jesus. We say yes to the kingdom of heaven. We say yes in agreement, yes in agreement to all that you show us and all that you tell us and all that you declare over us and all that pertains to our families, our futures, our ministries, our finances, our health, our community. We say yes, we say yes, we say yes. We will be your prophetic voices. We will be your prophetic voices. We'll be intentional. We'll be wild. We'll be faithful. We'll be purposeful. We will be busy about the word of the kingdom with our voices. We thank you for the grace, the grace that causes the word to produce. In Jesus' name, everybody said,